guys, that's not Bren. Who is that? Uh, good morning. How are you? Is there much wearing of black and mourning in the land because of a, a loss that may have occurred last night? Um, perhaps featuring a, a football team that is maybe a big deal in town, maybe not. Um, doesn't look like a lot of black, but my heart is a little broken. Uh, my name's John. Uh, I, I'm nobody, really. I'm just a guy. I've uh, been coming here for a little over a year now, and uh, I'm a gospel community leader. I've got two beautiful children uh, that I love dearly and growl like puppies, um, because that's really kind of what they are, is puppies. Um, and today, I, I get the privilege of, of going through the book of Matthew with you guys a little bit more. So the plan this morning is we're going to just go ahead and dive right in. We've got a lot to cover. We're going to walk through the text together, and then we're going to lay it over our hearts and see what on earth we do with this guy, John the Baptist, and what he has to say. So if you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible, throw your hand up, and we've got some guys that will hand you one. But we're going to be jumping over to Matthew chapter 3. And, and where we've been in the book of Matthew so far is we've, we've looked and we've seen this genealogy uh, that, that Matthew points out and he says, okay, here's Jesus. And Jesus comes from this line of the most Jewish of Jewishness. And he comes from this line of kings and he's everything that you should be looking for in a Messiah because this is, this is the guy that was, was foretold about. The, not only does Matthew say that in the genealogy, he says all of these great, men and women throughout history, they all get their worth from Jesus. Jesus doesn't get their worth from them. So you get a guy like David, who is the king of, uh, of the golden age of Israel. His worth is found in Jesus. You get uh, heroes like Josiah, who takes the throne when he's nine years old, right? And this guy, like, leads this revival in the land of Israel. Leads this revival at nine years old, turns the whole nation around, and then the, uh, an enemy nation comes to attack, and he leads his men into battle and dies. Like, he's the kind of guy you want to follow, right? He dies in battle. And, and, and Matthew lays out, he's like, he comes from this line of kings. He comes from this line of priests. He comes from Abraham's land, the line, the, the poster boy of faith. And then we see this miraculous birth story. We, we get this, this picture of a, a virgin birth, of, of God's protection around him, that something out of the normal is happening. Here's this Messiah that Matthew keeps talking about, but he's not, he's not maybe the Messiah they were looking for. He was born in a manger, maybe a cave, not in a palace. He, he comes from... A, a mom who was a virgin, and there's a little shame that's going to hang over that. He comes from a humble little hick town, way worse than any hick town you've ever known, in Bethlehem. And then he moves to Nazareth, which if you think, like, Bethlehem is bad, that's way worse. That's like moving from Emmett to Parma, okay? I've been out to Parma once. Good enough, okay? I, I'm sorry if you're, that's, yeah. That's all I got for you. 
Matthew's goal throughout this book is to, to look at this guy, Jesus, and to show his fellow Jewish brothers, this is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who's here to save us, and he looks nothing like you thought he would look like. And he continues that trend by entering this guy, John the Baptist. So chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And his message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John, he wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then Jerusalem, which is a major city, and all of Judea, the surrounding region, everywhere around the Jordan, were going out to him, and they were baptized him, baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. There's a couple of things that got to stand out for us. If, if Matthew is writing to a bunch of Jews in the first century, they're going to look at a lot of this, and certain things are going to pop up that aren't going to pop up normally for us. So he's, he's going to say, okay, there was this guy, John the Baptist, and he was out in the wilderness. He's out in the wilderness, and he's wearing this clothing that's camel's hair and a leather belt, and he's eating locusts and honey. Kind of weird, right? Anyone tried bugs? Probably not, for a good reason, right? And, and I'm talking with Brent about this, and, and he said, you know, when we were in Israel, the guy we were with, he, he took us through this passage, and he said, you know, that, that word honey is a common word for jam." jellies, jams, that sort of thing in, in that land. And locusts, th this guy's looking at him and says, look at this tree we're sitting under. Do you know what kind of tree it is? It's a locust tree. And, and the bark on this tree is edible. So before we get too carried away thinking, hey, here's this guy who's like Winnie the Pooh that eats bugs, let's think of him maybe even more like um, a Portland hipster, right? He's, he's vegan, he only, you know, veggies, jams, fair trade, organic clothing. <laughs> you can write probably thick rim glass. I, I don't know. You fill in the blanks there. He's this guy that is not, he's not normal. He's not what they would picture as the religious leader of their day. Those guys, they're all, they're, they're prim, they're proper, they're, they're in the epicenter of culture and religion in that day in Jerusalem. That's like the seat of power in that area. And here's this guy out in the wilderness. And he's preaching. He says he's preaching a message of repentance and of baptism. Jews don't get baptized. If you're a good Jew, you don't get baptized. Because baptism was that ceremonial washing that Gentiles would have when they became Jews. If he's out there and saying, hey, look you guys, you need to get baptized. What's he telling them? You're not good enough. You think you're God's chosen people, but really you're outside of God's chosen people. So here comes this guy 
who is out in the wilderness wearing the clothing of, of the poor people, who's eating this diet that, that would be the diet of those in poverty, and he's preaching this message that goes against everything these people believe. And what's happening? What's Matthew say? Everybody was coming out to him. Everybody from Jerusalem, everybody from Judea, the the province around Jerusalem, the, the whole region of the Jordan, they're flocking out to this weirdo because there's something about what he's saying. Matthew gives us this look. He says, and hey, um, for this guy, John the Baptist, he's the one the prophet Isaiah was speaking of when he said, the voice of one calling in the wilderness. And that comes out of Isaiah chapter 40. And, and it's those, those first five verses. And when Matthew was writing this, to these Jewish people, these people that were were Christians and holding on to this Jewish faith, and that was their background, that was everything they knew, and he's trying to prove to them, this guy is the Messiah. When he just gives that little blurb, the thing that's going to pop right into their mind is the rest of what that part of Isaiah 40 says. All he has to do is give them a little flag. This is the guy that was spoken of when Isaiah was speaking about this. And, and here's what it says, because I'm, I'm pretty sure Isaiah isn't what you flip open to, you know, at night when you're getting ready to read your Bible. Isaiah 40, um, 1 says, Comfort, comfort my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Sound a little familiar? Just read this part. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low, and the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough place a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall gather and see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Um, when you look at Luke chapter 3, where Luke gives this, this account of here's John the Baptist, and here's who this guy was, and here's who he was saying, he gives more of that than Matthew does, because Matthew's readers, they would have been like, oh, this is what he's saying. But we kind of got to decode it, because if he's in this first section talking about John the Baptist, and in this second section, he's, he's talking about Jesus, as, as Luke will point out, it sounds like Jesus is going to make the whole world flat right? Valleys are going to be raised up. Hills are going to be made low. The crooked ways are going to be made straight. And the obstacles, the the rough places are going to be made smooth. So so what's he talking about? What's Isaiah trying to communicate? What's John trying to communicate? What's Matthew pointing at these guys and saying, here's what's coming? 
this, this talks about what Jesus will do. John's going to prepare the way. Jesus is going to come. And Jesus is going to, to raise the valleys up. Every valley shall be lifted up. That the, the low places, the dark places in our hearts are going to be raised up. To, to get rid of that anger, to get rid of that hate, that secret inside of you that you hide in darkness. Part of John's message is, this is the guy that's coming. He's going to get rid of that. The, the high places are going to be made low. The, the mountains and the hills are going to be made low. The, the, the points of, of pride, of, sex, of self-exaltation, they're, they're going to be brought down. that you won't rely on yourself, but you'll have to throw yourself on the free mercies of God, which doesn't set well if you're a Jew in that day, because that's, you're doing these things. You're following the law. You're, you're going to be a good guy. You're going to follow the ritual cleansings. You're going to eat the right things. You're going to go to temple at just the right time. And that's how you're going to see that you're God's chosen people. That's how you're within the fold. That the uneven, the crooked ground um, will be made straight. That our, our bent towards brokenness, our bent towards malice. I, I, have you ever lied when you didn't need to lie? Have you seen that in your heart? That we, we can have a bent towards doing and feeling and being the wrong thing. I, I paint houses for a living. It's glamorous, I know. I, I know there are many of you out there that is your favorite activity in the world to do is paint, right? Um, that's what I do. Um, and, and we're pretty good at it. We work on a lot of, of high-end houses. Yesterday, the house I was working on, it's like a, a $1.2 million house. That, that's pretty common. So Thursday, Thursday, I get done with another really big house. And it, it looks gorgeous. Some beautiful trim work, some, I, I mean, the whole package. I walked away feeling like, that's nice. And I... I get an address, I look it up in my phone, and it's all the way out in Middleton, which is almost as bad as Parma, but not quite because it's not. And I'm like, really? Middleton? Well, okay, whatever. Like, I, I type the address in, I, I start following, I call my boss up, I'm like, hey, we're heading out to this house, getting ready to wash it and prep it, get it ready to, you know, do what we do. And he laughs at me, and he says, okay, don't be shocked when you get out there like, oh, oh, this isn't going to be good. They hang up, and, and I tell the guy I'm riding with, well, this is what he said, so we're going to see what we've got going for us. And I roll up, and I see the address, and I pull in to this dusty, weed-filled, half-broken-down, car-filled lot, and there behold but before me is this single wide trailer and a detached two-car garage with one of the doors that's kind of closed, bent halfway down, and then this farmhouse that looks like it has enough spiders on it that it's going to like, like crawl away. 
and it's falling apart, and it's disgusting. There's trash all over the place. There's this really nice BMW Z3 sitting under a, a, a cover with weeds growing up all around it, and, and trash everywhere. And I'm like, you're serious? Really? I call him up. I'm like, so where do you want me to start? The trailer that's falling into a hole and falling apart, or the shop that doesn't really have any doors? And I'm like, you're, you're kidding me. We don't do this stuff. And I, I get working on it, and it's falling apart, literally. I'm washing it down, and the, I can't get too close because the pressure washer is going to put a hole through the side of the house. And I just think, who on earth could do this? Who on earth could live in these sorts of conditions? Like, you really have no pride in where you live, that there's going to be trash everywhere. You're going to let it decay to this point. Like, really? There's new roofs on all three of these buildings. And I'm like, you can't pay for, I don't know, a lawnmower? And I get going. I, I keep prepping. And this eight-year-old boy walks out of the trailer. The trailer that I had just washed, and as I wash, the front door blows open because it doesn't really latch. So I move on, and this eight-year-old boy walks out barefoot, and he's, you know, kind of disheveled looking, and he, he has a bag of trash. And of course, it doesn't just go out into the yard because that's too obvious, and it doesn't go into a trash can because there are no trash cans. It goes into the back of this beat-up minivan. And anger rises up inside me. I'm like, okay, that's one thing to have, the, the, you know, look, if you're going to live somewhere like this, whatever. But to make a kid live in this place? Really? I was, like, seriously angry. Like, don't talk to me right now because I'll bite your head off angry. And I'm working on the trailer, doing my job, trying to, you know, put it back together. And the Holy Spirit drops. And I'm in the middle of fuming inside, winning this brilliant argument that I've constructed. And the Holy Spirit just, really, John? Who are you? Who are you to stand here and pass any sort of judgment like who are you to think you're higher than they are? Who are you to just stand there like you're better than these people? And my response was like, really, God? Really? There was a, a bent towards evil in my heart saying, you know what, I'm better than these people. Have, have you had that? And, and part of John's message is there's somebody coming who's going to fix that. There's somebody coming that when you scream at your kids on Easter morning and then go to church that following hour... going to make that right. That was me too this last Easter. I was like, oh, great job parenting, John. Get mad at your kids over something really little and then go celebrate Jesus' resurrection. Smooth. We have that though. 
don't we? So John is saying his message that Matthew is, is communicating here, what John is speaking of is there is somebody coming who's going to, to take away the dark places in our heart, remove those points of pride and self-exaltation where, where we can do it ourselves. We're better than these people. That He's going to remove these, these inequities, these crooked parts in our heart. He's going to... The, the, the uneven ground should become level and the rough places a plain. He's going to remove the obstacles. The, the obstacles that get in our way for salvation, for coming to Jesus, for, 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 for this kind of life. Most of which I would contend are morally neutral. It's not like there's bad things that get in our way for our walk with Jesus. That happens and that is the case. But sometimes it's little league. Sometimes it's the football game. Sometimes it's your career that you use to support your family. John is talking about this guy that's going to remove the obstacles and the glory, the weight, the the salvation of the Lord will be revealed, the, the, the presence of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh shall see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And we, we see these things, and we look at them, and we want them, right? Those are all good things. Yeah? You, you can say yeah back if, you know. We, we want those things removed in our hearts. So how? How? Flip back to Matthew 3. Matthew is, er, not Matthew, John. John is going to tell the people how not to do it. This is how you don't get those things. And I, I think from that we can gather, this is how we, we get to that. And watch, watch what happens here. Verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism. This is the the ruling religious class. These are the guys that if there's your typical, normal, God-fearing Jew, these guys were like really good at it. Right? They they didn't just follow the law. They followed this safety law around the law and a safety law around that. Like, oh, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So you can take 36 steps. That's it. So count them. You're a fast twice a week. Cover yourself with some ashes and sackcloth so you look really holy and like you're suffering. These guys were who everyone else was looking at. This is the model of who we're supposed to be if we're following God. And John sees these guys coming out to his baptism, checking out what's going on, and he looks at them, and I love the intro, because he says, you brood of vipers. Really seeker-sensitive, okay? Really easy on them. These guys, I mean, they're going to believe the creation story, right? When they hear themselves called a viper, they're going to think of, of what happens in the garden, right? The serpent comes and deceives Eve. John's calling them sons of the devil. 
you brood of vipers. You who are so holy to yourselves, you sons of the devil, warned you to flee the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as I father, our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. And even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's looking at these Pharisees, these Sadducees, really the whole crowd who's watching this go down. And, and there was this, this belief that if you were Jewish, you were pretty safe. As long as you stayed within the law, the bounds that God had given you, God was going to protect you because a long time ago through this dude Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. So there's got to be a lineage that's protected. You're God's chosen people. So all you had to do was go through the motions. And they were good at it. You go to sacrifice this many times. 613 laws, right? We're going to do this. We're going to fast. We're going to tithe. And, and these Pharisees and Sadducees later, Matthew's going to write about them. And he, he's going to say, you guys tithe your spice rack. That's how holy you are. And John's looking really at all of them and saying, you can't hide behind that. Do not presume to, your, to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Like you can get by just doing the law good enough. If we were to pull it into 2013, you cannot get by just doing church good enough. John looks at him and says, you don't think he can take these stones and make them into children of Abraham? You can't pigeonhole God. You can't pigeonhole God. That you would rely on your heritage, that you would rely on these things you can do. John looks at him and says, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. You cannot rely on your own righteousness to save you. Your own good works, the things you do. And, and this is something that Matthew does battle with through his entire book as he's trying to expose the Messiah to these people and say, look, he's not the Messiah you thought he was. You thought, hey, if I do this and this and this and this, then God will have to save me. He's not that way. He says, nothing about your heritage, nothing about your good works, not, it, it won't save you. And this book of Matthew, it's written about 60 A.D. You know what other book was written about 60 A.D.? The book of Philippians. The book that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. And what Paul has to say in chapter 3 of Philippians, in, in verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory of Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. 
If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence of the flesh, I have more. Paul says, my resume is legit. I was as Jewish as you can get, sub-Abraham. And that's just because I have to be under Abraham. And he says, I, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, the perfect day, of, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. I was faultless. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. And then he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Any of that good, I count as loss. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them rubbish, feces. The pile in the bottom of the outhouse. All of my good things, all of my resume, that's what it is. In order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but one that comes from the law, one that comes through faith in Christ Jesus. So what do we do? If this is the message that John the Baptist is trying to communicate, this is the message that Matthew felt was so important to put right here. To prove this, this thing about you think you can do it yourself, but you can't. What do we do? Verse 11 of chapter 3, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Don't get freaked out about that, okay? He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and his winnowing fork is at hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That you can get a little afraid of if you want. Um, and, and don't hear me up here like brimstone and fire. I'm just reading the text. Right? So what do we do? John keeps pointing forward to this guy, Jesus. So this guy's coming. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And without getting too murky into any theological camp on that, what I, I want to do is I, I want to ask the question, what does the Spirit do? What does the Holy Spirit do?
in Romans 8, 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So, so what does the Spirit do? If, if John is pointing and saying, don't be that, look for this guy who's coming. Look for this guy who's going to raise the valleys, who's going to lower the mountains, make the straight paths they're the crooked paths straight and remove the obstacles who you won't have to rely on your heritage for. And he's coming, and he's coming with the Holy Spirit. John 16, um, we see the Spirit glorifies Jesus. In John 16, 14 through 15, the Spirit reveals Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Spirit leads us to understand Jesus as our Lord. In Romans 8, 11, the Spirit empowers us to live like Jesus. In John 14, 12 through 14, the Spirit gifts us to do ministry like Jesus. In John 14, 26, the Spirit reveals us as Jesus to the world. And in Acts 2, the Spirit empowers us to tell others about Jesus. It may just be me, but it seems like the Spirit is pretty obsessed with Jesus. Yes? Yeah. Are you? Are you? It's funny, in Luke, when, when Luke is telling about John the Baptist, he actually carries on a little bit further than Matthew does. Because in Luke, all the people stand up and they're like, what do you want us to do, John? Like, yeah, we want that. Yeah, we see the error of our ways. What do you want us to do? What can we do? And he looks at them and he says, basically, he's been saying, look, don't follow the list. And they say, what do we do? And he says, here's a list. That seems a little sketch, right? But our understanding of what John tells them to do is we should see that as the results of a life in the Spirit. The result of a life that focuses on Jesus. And John tells him, hey, look, if you have two tunics and you see a guy freezing his butt off, give him your other tunic. Which is a shirt slash jacket, if you need that translated. If, if you see somebody that's hungry and you have this big pantry full of food, don't be an idiot. Give them some food. And tax collectors come up to him, right? These tax collectors, like Matthew, guys who had purchased from Rome the right to exhort, extort their own people to pay for an army that was pillaging and raping his own people, these tax collectors, broken, they come to him and say, John, what do I do? He says, look, don't steal anymore. And these soldiers, they come to John, John, what do we do? And he says, you don't use your force to steal from people, to get what you want. And he goes on, and he, he talks about this King Herod, who's the, the political king of the Jews at that point. And he starts calling this guy out, and he says, here's, here's this guy, Herod, who's sleeping with his brother's wife. Even now, that's kind of not good, right? 
what, what, what John starts to pull out is this idea of self-examination, of looking, looking at your life. Are you the kind of person who sees somebody in need, looks at your pantry and closet full of crap, and says, thank you, Jesus, for all the blessings you've given me, and does nothing? Because that's if the Holy Spirit's in you you can't do that it won't sit inside you are you the kind of person who can show up on a Sunday morning and serve and then when you see the people next to you who aren't serving who aren't showing up on time who whatever sits there and thinks oh those guys suck or gets angry what do you do with that who you you name it you know what it is right this is church we can be honest with ourselves I hope what is it the disconnect in your life to say I don't think it's there is it something sexual like John would point out with Herod is it something about your possessions that he would point out with the tax collectors with the, the soldiers that you hold on to so tightly Here's the good news. Now you know. If you want to be honest with yourselves, now you know. And there can be repentance, a turning around. You can, you can ask for help here. I know that's a novel idea. You can, you can say, Guys, this is something I struggle with. And we walk with you through that. But no one can do it for you. At some point, you've got to do it for yourself. And that the band's going to come up and, and, and we'll, we'll wrap this sucker up. You see the beauty of it, though, of, of valleys raised up, of, of the pride going away, the, the darkness in your heart disappearing, <laughs> of being filled in, the, the idea of the, the bent parts inside of us being straightened out of the, those morally neutral obstacles that come between us and Jesus, your, your possessions, 
whatever it is, being pulled away. Do you hear the freedom inside of that? Do you want that? And are you looking to Jesus for it and Jesus alone? Or do you have some sort of plan in your back pocket for putting your life back together? Um, God, we are... We're like little children who absolutely depend on you. We're like my four-year-old daughter who thinks she can do it all by herself and she can't. God, my prayer is that we would, we would see We would see your love, God. We would see the freedom that you are constantly calling us out to. Whether we have have called ourselves a follower for 30 years or for two weeks or we want nothing to do with this. That we would see that there's, there's power in the name of Jesus. That there's freedom. That you do break every chain, that we don't just sing those songs because they sound good, but because they're truth. God, we thank you for this freedom. God, help us to be honest with ourselves. We love you. We thank you. And it's in your name we pray and we beg and we plead and we sing. Amen.